0: We're talking theory, we're talking method, and we'll chat about a project I'm working on and how it's being influenced by our topics. Welcome to yet another episode of Summary and Synthesis. Greetings and how-do. This is English 730, user-centered research for technical communicators. I, of course, am your host, Emily Kuznar-Laird. And welcome back to yet another episode. Now I will say before we start, uh, desperate times make all for desperate measures, but I am having to record in a different space today due to my sister going into labor. So I had planned to record the episode today. I'm on a schedule and we gonna make it happen. Okay, so <laughs> so hopefully the episode doesn't sound too terrible. Uh, well, as I said in the intro, we're going to spend this episode discussing three things related to user centered research, and I'm going to throw them at you guys in three different phases. So, phase one will be theory, which during we'll review two peer reviewed papers, both evaluated usability evaluation methods. Then we'll move on to phase two of today's episode, which is methods. We'll discuss a test by two authors and then a delightful slew of online resources. Part three of today's episode will still be synthesis. I know, phew, I could sense your concern. However, with synthesis, I'm going to talk a bit about myself, my likes, dislikes, political opinions. No, 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 no. Totally kidding. I will, though, be sharing with you uh, or talking with you about a project I'm working on and how the authors will review today are inspiring me and guiding me in some decision-making I've been doing for a usability test I'm currently writing a plan for. If there's one thing you're going to take away from this week's episode, guys, It's how invaluable a usability test plan is. Work is always full of time crunches. Trust me, my title should just be master of the ad hoc. Sometimes decisions, designs, projects, proposals, they just have to happen. Usability testing cannot happen this way. You can do it quickly, but it's going to be sloppy. Imagine, if you will, finding the most perfect recipe for gazpacho. It's starting to warm up, so you're thinking a cool bowl of gazpacho would go great with a crisp glass of Sauvignon Blanc on the deck. Oh, baby, I'm thinking summer. Okay, so you've just established your goal. Eat gazpacho, drink wine, be on deck. Mm, Perfection. But now, my dear, you need a plan. It is a cold day in hell when I decide to make something and I miraculously have all the ingredients. That never happens. No, I need to make a list, go to the store, wear my face mask, my gloves, whatever you need to do, carve out a time when I can actually put this together. Chill it overnight and actually be able to enjoy it when the weather is nice. It involves planning. Otherwise, your gazpacho will taste like shit and it'll be raining outside. Making a recipe and performing a usability test takes some time and planning. I absolutely love anything by Anthony Bourdain. Recipes are writing, the man was brilliant at both. One thing he always said is before you even begin the act of cooking, you have to get your mise en place in order, meaning get everything set up or in place. Usability tests deserve the same preparation you would give to preparing a recipe. Now I know what you're thinking boy, this bra is really focused on recipes today. Well, I am. And stay tuned for today's synthesis, and you're gonna find out why. Well, you know the time has come. Phase one. Theory. Let's summarize. This week, our theory phase comes at us in the form of two separate peer-reviewed papers. The Evaluator Effect, a Chilling Fact about Usability Evaluation Methods by Hertzum and Jacobson. And what they really, really want, user-centered research methods for designers by Lofthouse and Lilly. Hertzum and Jacobson begin by explaining their study is about the three prominent usability evaluation methods, cognitive walkthrough, heuristic evaluation, and thinking aloud. Now, we talked about cognitive walkthroughs and heuristic evaluations last episode. Their study is about whether evaluators who evaluate the same system with the same usability evaluation methods detect roughly the same problems in the system. Our authors detail the trouble of the evaluator effect, which occurs when different evaluators testing the same system detect substantially different sets of usability issues. The authors discovered for all three prominent evaluation methods, an individual evaluator would not likely detect the majority of problems detected collectively. Another way of thinking about this is the evaluators are all across the board. Our authors determined that evaluators were using subjective criteria to determine usability problems, which puts into question the reliability of such evaluation methods. Well, of course things are subjective, right? We each as individuals experience different things. We perceive other people's preferences to be similar to ours. Thus, what we'll find frustrating or wrong about an interface is relative to what we find frustrating about an interface. Ultimately, our authors identify three primary shortcomings of usability evaluation methods. And those are vague goal analysis, vague evaluation procedures, and vague problem criteria. So basically words like problem, difficulty, challenge. They're going to vary across evaluators. Thus, the evaluator effect identifies a lack of standardization present in usability testing methods. The information presented is important to recognize and really keep in mind as you perform usability testing. The biggest takeaway here is to recognize evaluators bring subjectivity to the table, so keep that in mind. Now, Lofthouse and Lily are here to offer designers a bit of help with a range of techniques for better understanding their customers, results, hopefully in the development of more appropriate products and services. As a designer myself, I thought this article was actually pretty cool. Lofthouse and Lily run down a variety of techniques explaining what to use or when to use them, their benefits, drawbacks. It's a really great resource to aid designers. uh, They offer the following methods. Focus groups, participant observation, user trials, product and use, customer diaries, which side note, I desperately want to be part or a participant in a customer diary usability study like so bad. Preferably the one where you get to do like the video of yourself and just be like, hi, it's day three of trying this product and I'm getting better by the day. Okay. Scenario of use is another one they recommend. uh, Consumer idealized design, web of associations, which is actually pretty interesting if you look into it. If you're in marketing realm, which I work in the marketing realm as well, check out brandgenetics.com, which extracts the semantic components of brands and consumers' minds. It's Brilliant. Uh, okay, now the last one, I I don't know. I'm a little not as into. So the last method the authors suggest is mood boards. Now, mood boards are something us designers are certainly familiar with. But the way our authors explain the process of mood board exercises, whereas you literally give participants like tag board, magazine, scissors and glue or tape. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels very second grade Girl Scout sleepaway camp. It feels very subjective because you would need to provide an extremely diverse range of magazines or resources to ensure your participants could really express what they wanted to. So it kind of took me back to our previous authors and that evaluation effect, you know. If you gave people a stack of National Geographic magazines and asked them to use them for responding to answers, you're going to be trying to decipher a tag board full of cheetahs and topless like Aboriginal women. So I don't know what you're going to learn necessarily, but my point is, I don't know about the mood board method, okay? Regardless, Our authors here offer us some really great methods and guidelines for how and when to use. So it's a really great walkthrough if you, you know, want to learn how to implement some of these different methods. Like it's a super great resource. I'm just really, I'm so caught up on mood boards. I don't know why. Okay, guys, it's time to move into phase two method. We went hard this week reading a ton of fantastic resources on usability testing methodology. But before I dive in, my writer clearly states I have to hear that sweet, sweet bass drop. Phase two method, let's summarize. This week for method, I reviewed the following. Carol Barnum's Usability Testing Essentials. Ruben and Chisnell's Handbook of Usability Testing, which you guys, I heavily recommend. This book is a fantastic book fantastic resource. Then some great online resources, Nielsen Norman Group, UX Booth, UserZoom, Usability.gov, which has some extensively thorough information. Highly recommend, spent a lot of time on there the last two weeks. Okay, so don't worry, I can hear you saying, how the heck are you going to summarize all these authors? All right, I'm rolling my sleeves up, and I'm going to start with this. If you're doing a usability test, you need to establish a plan. We need to determine our goal. What are we looking for? And what are we trying to answer by performing these usability tests? Remember, there are affordable usability testing methods, but nothing is free. A plan is going to give you some sense of security that you've thought through the money you're about to spend, and it actually makes sense to spend it. A plan, or project plan, as we should probably refer to it as here, will define the scope of your project and require you to stay on track. You'll define your target audience, set your measurable objectives, and identify team roles and responsibilities within the project. Your project plan should be both detailed and organized to ensure that if in the middle of it you get furloughed, for instance, or have to leave the project for any reason, not technically furloughed right now, but definitely coming, Uh, someone else can easily take up the reins and run the test to discover the the results it was intended for. Okay, so first and foremost, usability testing can be grouped into two types. Formative testing, which is performed while the product is in development, and summative testing, which occurs after the product is finished. Formative are your small studies. You're testing your forward progress to ensure you're on the right track. Based on your goals and the phase at which you're testing, you'll have varying options for the methods you'll use for this testing. But we'll get there. You and your team should also understand what will make something usable. Defining usability goals and objectives include usefulness efficiency effectiveness satisfaction and accessibility may i also highly recommend don norman's the design of everyday things do not get me started we will be here for hours usability testing is about the user and it's important to make the efforts to understand your users to do this we must create data something we can collect to better understand our users this will bring us into one key theme from this week amongst many which is qualitative versus quantitative research to really understand users you'll probably want to utilize both quantitative research refers to any kind of research where the results can be presented in numbers quantitative research is easy to gather gives you fast results offers statistical significance which will always get buy-in from stakeholders trust me I know from experience people love statistics and you can make beautiful visualizations of raw data to really illustrate your findings to others now qualitative research as you may remember back to Pat Sullivan's beckon is dangerous (laughs) I'm just so tickled by that because that is so true people do see qualitative data as dangerous it can be but it has some serious benefits Qualitative data refers to any kind of research where the results take the form of observations, comments, thoughts, and feelings, allowing you to tell a story about the participant's experience. Qualitative answers the why. Why are your users making the decisions they are? The great thing is participants in qualitative data tend to be honest, so you're bound to learn something statistical data just won't give you. All right, we're building our usability testing plan. You're going to assess your goals, understand your users, define the roles amongst your teams, and determine what exactly you're measuring. And now you need to decide the best user research method. Deciphering if you're looking for qualitative or quantitative data is going to help you trim down the right tests for you. If you need quantitative data, consider card sorting, A-B testing, lab studies, close-ended surveys or questionnaires, or clock testing. If you need qualitative data, consider diary studies, ethnographic field studies, interviews, which can come at you in three different types, right? Directed interviews, which is a typical Q&A, non-directed interviews, which is rough guidelines with open conversation, and an ethnographic interview where users Uh, Show the interviewee how they accomplish certain tasks while immersed in the user's environment There's also focus groups and tree testing Now some of these methods can be focused to receive both quantitative and qualitative data Which is absolutely fantastic for someone like me who's in marketing But could also be fantastic for someone like you who's performing usability testing These can include click testing Surveys or questionnaires, U.S. benchmarking studies, usability testing, which includes moderated, unmoderated, guerrilla testing, which is typically performed in the community. A little bit harder to do, but hey, give it a whirl. Intercept surveys or information architecture testing. What you may be catching on to here is that once you've determined the goals for your test and understand your users, there are a slew of ways to begin actually testing your products or interfaces for clarity. It may seem overwhelming now, but once you understand your testing goals and your users, the ideal user testing methods will begin to fall into place. That's going to wrap up our summary of methods for this week. Looks like all we have left now is synthesis, so let's go. (music) From Lofthouse and Lily, Barnum, Nielsen-Norman Group, Hertzum and Jacobson, UX Booth, UserZoom, Usability.gov, whew, the authors we reviewed this week are serving up usability methods realness. So how do we take all of these and synthesize it? Well, from the beginning with social constructivism, we've centered around learning through interaction, We then examined Buley and Krug who offered us not only methods, but gave us valuable advice such as listen to your users. Our authors from this week provide parallel advice when Barnum, for example, states it's critical to know who your users are and what their goals are. And it is critical. That's why Krug warned us of the mishaps of the average user and why Buley's focus on practice begins with planning and discoverability. Johnson talked to us about audience involved. While Sullivan beckoned us to truly encounter our users. These guidelines resonate with this week's authors because in understanding our users, we'll understand the proper usability methodologies for testing them. This understanding is so critical, in fact. St. Amant gave us script and prototype theory as tools for understanding international users. Don Norman gave us the gem that is design of everyday things. Seriously, read it. He gave us this so we can understand how users engage with products or interfaces. What I'm saying here is if understanding your user wasn't the goal, none of the groundwork would prelude our efforts. People would just test anyone willing to participate. The results would be poor, the decision-making would be misguided, money would have been wasted, and products wouldn't work the way actual users would require. No, you need a plan to determine what it is about your users you're trying to discover. Are there standards involved in products you're creating? If you're changing those standards, it's probably something you're gonna wanna test with actual users. Put that into your plan. Build out some personas based around the user data you have and try a cognitive walkthrough. Bring an expert in and perform a heuristic evaluation. Those two will help shore up your plan. They'll also help you to find the usability method to best assist you in getting to really know your users or making your usability testing worth doing. I found this week's authors to be incredibly useful as I develop my own usability testing plan. So what am I testing? Well, I'll be testing institutional recipe communication. I know, it's thrilling, but it is thrilling. You see, recipes are the cornerstone of how an institutional kitchen functions. They're what ensures if you walk into an Applebee's in Tucson, Arizona, or an Applebee's in Buffalo, New York, your quesadilla burger is going to taste the exact same. In my test, I'm looking at institutional recipes in university settings. What I'm looking for are issues with the communication presented by the recipe format on those using the recipes, cooks and production staff. Chefs, dietitians and managers dream of elaborate culinary dishes, but someone will then actually have to make these, and accurately. For my specific test, I've done some pre-planning interviews, which helped me in developing personas. From there, I performed a heuristic evaluation and cognitive walkthrough as to discover some of the challenges which could be determined through testing. My plan will include a 30-minute task, which is a think-aloud usability test, whereas the participant will talk me through their thoughts, feelings, and opinions while preparing a culinary dish. After they've completed the task or the time is up, we'll do a 30-minute Post-task non-directed interview. I selected the Think Aloud because it's important to I, the moderator, am not asking questions while someone is trying to cook a dish. That becomes distracting to the task. I chose the non-directive interview because I want to ask some set questions, but I also want to ask about comments or occurrences that happen during the Think Aloud portion of the test. The plan I've created for my test is incredibly detailed. Whereas every instance related to the test is so planned out that should I happen to be unable to perform the test the day of, someone else could easily step in. In developing a thorough testing plan, I've also been required to question myself on if the methods I'm performing will achieve the right informational outcomes. I'm confident they will but I have a little time left to continue to construct my plan, and so who knows? I might find there's a better way. Well, everyone, this has been another episode of Summary and Synthesis. It was a lot to cover, so if there's one thing to take away from this week, remember, you have to develop a plan and make it detailed. It will force you to make decisions about your testing process, and ultimately, it will aid in making your test successful repeatable and useful thanks for listening stay safe out there and thanks so much for your patience with my (laughs) random recording process this week uh but we're expecting a boy so hey got that going for us again it's my sister not me but it's pretty great have a good week